Be kind. Rewind. This is Dope Nostalgia. This is so exciting. We are officially episode 100 in the triple digits. Finally. Thank you for being such a awesome listeners and being part of the show so long now. And my name is Naomi. I'm your host. My special guest for this episode was the lead singer of rock band Brother Kane, Damon Johnson. He fills us in on what he's been up to over the last bit. And I was surprised to know how many bands he's worked with and artists. He's been guitar playing for Alice Cooper playing for Leonard Skinner and Ben Lizzie. These are huge mega names. And this is what Damon has been doing in recent years, as well as his own amazing solo work. I'm a really big fan of the music. So check it out before we do that. Here's an introduction on Brother Kane. Wikipedia Moments. Brother Kane is an American rock band that released three albums in the 1990s. The band was formed in 1990 by singer-guitarist Damon Johnson and bassist Glenn Maxey. Joined by guitarist Roman Glick and drummer Scott Collier, Brother Kane released their self-titled debut album in 1993. After the departure of Maxey, Glick switched to bass while the band added a new guitarist, David Anderson. Their song, And Fool Shine On, from their second album, Seeds, stayed at number one on Billboard Rock Charts for six weeks and was included in the soundtrack for Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers in 1995, as well as three other songs, Hung on a Rope, 2020 Faith, and Horses and Needles. The group disbanded shortly after the release of their final studio album, Wishpool, in 1998. That same year, a live version of the band song, Lead My Follow, was featured on a Birmingham, Alabama charitable album titled Live in the X Lounge. The album was released to benefit United Cerebral Palsy of Greater Birmingham, an organization in the band's hometown. Now, lead singer Damon Johnson has been involved in numerous projects since the demise of Brother Kane, including Red Halo, Slave to the System, which was a band that also featured longtime Queenstrike drummer Scott Rockenfield, and Whiskey Falls. Johnson was touring guitarist for Alice Cooper from 2004 to 2011, at which time he departed Cooper's band to join Thin Lizzy. And he has remained with the band since his transition into Black Star Riders. Guitarist David Anderson now plays with Atlanta Rhythm Section when they tour. In 2005, Brother Kane reunited for two concerts. One of the shows was released as a two-disc set with never-before-seen backstage, offstage concert footage. A 40-minute show as the opening act for Van Halen in Fresno from 95. And interview content. Brother Kane reunited for a brief tour in 2012 and planned to perform periodically in the future. It's my pleasure to introduce you to an amazing musical talent, Mr. Damon Johnson. Welcome to Dope Nostalgia. Okay, Damon, I really thank you for your time today. Um, we're called Dope Nostalgia, and we're a show about things that happened in the 90s and what those artists are doing today. So when I wanted to do a show about Brother Kane, I was like, let's do this if you have the time. <laughs> yeah, listen, it's cool. There's, I mean, there's been a lot that has happened since the Brother Kane days. Mm -hmm. um, so it's always fun to... Uh, I mean, none of the things that have happened since, I guess, Brother King broke up in 
um, 2000, like end of 99, early 2000. Mm-hmm. Uh, had it not been for Brother Kane, none of the other things that have happened since then would have would have ever happened. So, yeah. Yeah, it would have been a very important stepping stone at that time. How did you guys find each other in the beginning? All the guys kind of came from the music scene that was happening in Birmingham, Alabama. I I grew up in a small town about an hour and a half north of there. And I moved to Birmingham, I think it was 87, 1987. And it was awesome because there were so many great venues, tons of places to play, you know, a couple of rock stations in town. And it was just, uh, I mean, at that time period, I'm sure you know yourself, Naomi. I mean, there was rock music was the dominant cultural force. And so if you played rock music, if you wrote, songs and made any recordings you know even in a town in the middle of alabama you know you could you could move the needle a little bit at least locally and that's what was happening for us and um it was uh there was a bit of a revolving door in the beginning um even down to me becoming a singer i never had any intention on singing uh you know through the years i would I would sing a couple of cover songs to give the lead singer a break, you know, if we were doing three sets mm-hmm. in a in a club on, on some night. But uh, so that was a bit of a change right there. So the band that I had uh, like 1990, I started with a band that was starting to showcase Naomi and we got the attention of some record labels. The songs were pretty good. But at that point, I was just a guitar player. So about a year later, um, through, you know, working with the label and working with my manager, uh, we couldn't find another singer. So I became the singer as well. So we changed a couple of other members. And I just remember going out to the clubs in Birmingham. Uh, This would have been early uh, 91, I guess. Mm -hmm. We had a development deal with Virgin Records. We weren't called Brother Kane yet. Um, Already had my bass player, Glenn, Glenn Maxey. And uh, we would go out and just see other bands. And it was almost more of a social thing. It's not like we were, hey, we got to find some other guys. We were hanging out. And that's when we saw Scott Collier, uh, who ultimately became our drummer. Um, He was a tremendous, still is a great, a great drummer. And kind of head and shoulders above the other guys. A lot of guys at that time period, no surprise to you. I mean, they all wanted to be Tommy Lee in the MTV videos and, that's not what we were looking for. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and Scott was a, he was a musician's musician. And we definitely more, what, what, that definitely what I was looking for. So that, that worked out great. And then Roman. Um, so Glenn Maxey was the bass player and I saw Roman playing bass in another band. And I just thought, wow, that's the coolest guy on stage I've ever seen. He was like this mix of, like part Duff McKagan, part really more like Cliff Burton from Metallica. I mean, that was his whole vibe. Wow. And we started hanging out and I was like, man, I wish you were in my band, but I don't need a bass player. I need a rhythm guitar player. And uh, I said, would you consider playing rhythm guitar? And he goes, well, I don't play guitar. I said, well, I'll teach you. (laughs) I'll I'll show you how (laughs) you 
you certainly look and sound great playing a bass. I bet you with a little time, you could get up on the guitar. And that's exactly what happened. He would come over to my house and, you know, so he transitioned to the sixth string. And so that first Brother Kane record, we recorded it in 92, came out in 93. Roman was on rhythm guitar. Glenn was on bass. And then uh, Scott was our drummer. That's unreal because you always hear it the other way around where the guitar players become bass players because you can't find any bass players. <laughs> yeah, it's you know? weird. It, it's so weird. It was the uh, totally, you're right. It was totally the other way around. And, um, you know, a lot of amazing things happen really fast. And over the course of the last two years of the pandemic, Naomi, I've done a few interviews. I put out a new record the first of last year and uh, I got a great team and, you know, they brought a bunch of people in that, you know, talking about that record and kind of revisiting my past and, you know, and with the coronavirus, we all had nothing but time. We're just stuck at home. We couldn't play shows or anything. So mm. there's been a few, you know, walks down memory lane and it's really been kind of fantastic to revisit particularly the, the, origins of Brother Kane and the things that we did in the beginning. Because again, for some guys from Birmingham, Alabama, I mean, there there'd never been any real rock bands from Alabama. You know, famous Alabama artists were like the Commodores and Lou Harris and Hank Williams Jr. And of course, his dad, Hank Sr. And, you know, there were things here and there, but I mean, you know, August of 93, we had the number one rock track the, the number one mainstream rock track in the country. We've got no shame. We were on tour opening for Leonard Skinner and Bad Company. And shortly after that, we went out with Robert Plant. And early 94, we're out with Aerosmith. I mean, it's just... That's huge. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, we were very fortunate. And it, it, was in, it was a lot of fun. It was great. Wow. During that decade, was there any pressure to change your sound because grunge had become into the forefront of everything? Great question. There was no pressure. I know that we as a band, we loved what was happening in music. You got to remember that we, it's not like we had been this contained unit that had been writing songs and performing and making records for three years, five years, seven years. You know, it was, we all kind of came together. And if you think about the timing of, you know, we signed our record deal in 91, mm -hmm. wrote some more, recorded in 92. Right about then, that's when Nevermind came out. So we had, we had established our direction with that first record. I was so consumed with Guns N' Roses, uh, those first three records of theirs. The mm -hmm. Black Crows were from just down the interstate in Atlanta. And their first two records were also seismic for me in the band. So those were kind of our modern uh, touchstones, you know, the records that we would listen to and be like, wow, yeah, that's, that's cool. I, if we we're going to sound like anybody, I'd, I wouldn't mind those influences sprinkling in with all of our other like typical stuff, Aerosmith, Zeppelin, yeah. Van Halen you know, Leonard Skinner and all those kinds of musical influences, the, the Crows and Guns N' Roses were like, yeah, I'd want to be in those bands. No one else but those two bands. Uh, 
So when particularly Nirvana and Soundgarden, uh, Pearl Jam, we loved them. We thought they were amazing. We loved the songs. I especially was very affected by the lyrical content because I'd already struggled, I think, early on. It's like I just didn't like writing songs about the typical things you were seeing on MTV. Mm -hmm. uh, again, at that moment, the whole hairband thing had just it had really started to eat itself and it would, it was just a caricature. The bands were kind of like cartoon characters and that's cool, you know? Yeah. And if you're in those bands, I'm sure it was fun. I'm sure. I mean, how can you, I, I can't imagine being in, I forget the name of the band right now, but they were all wearing like matching white leather outfits and, you know, flipping their hair around and it's like, well, Mm -hmm. You couldn't pay me to do that, but I'm sure they're getting paid and having a great time. <laughs> so it just got the cheese factor got so high that yeah, it seemed it was, like it was less about music. Yeah. And look, I'm not going to I would never say, oh, we were above that. Come on mm -hmm. again. We were from we were from a very uh, out of the way state like Alabama. You know, Atlanta had a real scene. Uh, you know, obviously Los Angeles and New York, the, those are those are real music scenes. We were just kind of doing the best we could. And there's no question you're influenced by what was on MTV. It was still the cultural, uh, you know, kind of the zeitgeist. Everybody's watching MTV every day. Yeah. And so that was affecting the record companies. It was affecting the A&R men. So I don't want to get off subject from your original question, Naomi. So when those when the grunge thing happened and these other bands started to to reach critical mass, we were very excited about that. So if you put your headphones on and really listen to the first Brother Kane record as a body of work and then flip over and listen to our second album, Seeds, that came out in 1995, you can hear some of that influence from those other bands. Um, I don't know that our musical sound changed. You know, we were still just guys playing Les Pauls through Marshall amps. And, you know, we weren't, uh, we, there wasn't like this big, you know, fuzz tone, Melvin's, uh, Caius, uh, certainly not like a Nine Inch Nails digital, you know, thing. We weren't doing any of that. You could yeah. still hear the, you could still hear the Bad Company and Deep Purple and and what we were doing, but the lyrical content big time took a, mm -hmm. you know, it took a leap. What I felt like was forward in, into a better direction. And honestly, I kind of all the songs I've written on into the rest of my career up to the last two records, it just it's more of a, a good fit with what we started to do on the second record, and especially our third album. Naomi wish wish pool came out in 98 and uh, uh, ironically we actually recorded wish pool in Seattle at the amazing London Bridge studio that's where Pearl Jam recorded 10 Alice in Chains recorded there uh, I know they did the Temple of the Dog record there when yeah. Cornell put that band together with the other guys so 
Um, I don't know that I, I think the fact that we could transition a bit, mm-hmm. it definitely helped us. Uh, 1995, we had what was really our biggest hit single, which was Ann Fool's Shine On. Yes. Um, that did not sound like anything that had been on the first record. Mm. And I know that all the hard work we had done at radio over uh, the previous two years, that when we came to radio with this new song, it was a perfect fit sonically for the other things that were happening because now the mainstream rock stations were playing Smashing Pumpkins and Stone Temple Pilots, the Toadies, um, you know, our song fit perfect with that. And, you know, I'm sure you could find some, some people that were like, Oh yeah, I love that first record. But then they, then they went all grunge and I don't care about that. Maybe there was some of that, but I don't know. Full Santa was such a good song. I think it we really kept all of it. I felt like we kept most of our, our early fans and then we started to grow that audience a little bit. Yeah. albums that you put out in that decade what would you be your personal favorite i think as a i think as a body of work i would have to say the third album Wishpool. it was uh it was very much a grown-up record um you know we were all going through a lot in our personal lives we'd been on the road constantly and it's just inevitable that that's going to take an effect on your relationships at home. Mm -hmm. And it certainly did for us. And um, I was, you know, between the things that I was going through with my first wife and just trying to find a way like, well, can I stay married? Can I, can I do this for a living? And um, literally I was going to counseling and I was, I was, certainly making an effort to to write that ship and find some kind of balance and and work it out you can you can hear that struggle uh it's in technicolor on yeah. on the on that wishpool record and you know in the years since then i can listen to that record almost as a music fan now and it's very um i don't want to say instructive because I never, you know, I think that's too too 
that's too broad of a word, but there's no question that you can relate to those songs. They're, they're written from a place of human, human growth, human struggle, uh, trying to be a better partner, but really still not having the, the tools in your toolbox to, to do that, Mm -hmm. uh, properly. And, um, it's, uh, it's it's not a it's not a shiny happy people yeah. uh, record you know but just a beautiful record the songs are fantastic the melodies the vocal melodies were great I I co-wrote a lot of those songs with my old friend Marty Fredrickson who was really oh, really important <laughs> yeah Marty Marty's so important to the success of Brother Kane Naomi uh, he always kind of laughs and goes yeah man you discovered me. You were my, you're the guy that put me, you know, on, on the, on the path forward. And I guess in a way that's true because, you know, brother Kane was the first co-write he'd ever had that was actually getting on the radio and, mm-hmm. and, you know, it brought Marty the attention that he certainly deserved. And uh, by the time we put out the Wishpool record, he was starting to write with Aerosmith. He was writing with Ozzy and, you know, mm-hmm. his, uh, his ship was sailing at high speed by that time. So Excellent. that was great. Yeah. When an album's that personal to you and the songwriting is like a therapy almost for what you're, you're experiencing in life. Is it hard to look back and listen to the album now, like this much time down the road, or is it more like, Hey, look how far I've come. What a great question. Definitely. It's, it's a, it's a pleasurable listening experience now. And I do hear it and I go, yes, look how far I've come and look at what a huge leap forward I had made in just five years. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said in the beginning of our talk, I was not a lead singer. I, I was focused purely on being a guitar player, writing riffs, writing chord progressions, trying to create a, you know, a, a melodic bed, a musical bed for a singer to come in and partner with me. And then that guy would write lyrics that he felt compelled or felt passionate about singing. Yeah. So I did, I did a pretty good job on that first album. I mean, I did an amazing job when you consider I had never really <laughs> <laughs> written, written a lot of lyrics. I just admit, you know, I will say this, Naomi, some of the guys that I was writing with before I became the singer, I, I remember sitting in the room and like I'd have a riff or I'd have a little track, you know, a drum program and bass and guitar on there. And the guy would start, well, what about this? And I would think, oh, my God, those lyrics are terrible. <laughs> like, <laughs> but but I was it's like, well, he's got to sing them. He's going to sing them if he if he can get up there and and make that believable. And again, a lot of these guys were very influenced with MTV and, you know, the, the Sunset Strip. And that was just, again, that was what was going on. It's like, okay, well, you're the singer. I'm the guitar player. You can mm-hmm. say, say whatever you want. I'm going to be over here shredding. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so yeah, that was a big transition uh, that, I, that I, had to, I had to catch up fast. And I don't know if I ever really did catch up on that first, first record, but I know this. Um, that was the the first album was the one that sold the most and 
you know, now when I play with my band, my solo band these days, any of those Brother Kane songs that I play get a great reaction. The first album song still, I mean, those those they love those songs. The 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 people do. So um I I guess it was definitely an accomplishment for for us to to tap into some some quality music with no more experience than I had at that point as a singer and a lyricist. Yeah. Is there an album track from those years that you would have wished would have become the single? There a, oh song my God. That, a song that you wanted to see the light of day that didn't quite get there. I can't believe you just asked me that because my, my man, my old manager is still one of my great, one of my best friends to this day. And we have said it really since the late nineties. We're like, you know what? We made one, we made a mistake. And that was after Got No Shame became so successful at radio. Uh, we came with a song that was super catchy. It had a big chorus. It was kind of undeniable. But it was a little fluffy lyrically. And especially at that moment, Naomi, uh, there was another song on the album that was called How Long. And how long was addressing, you know, we wrote it inspired by the events around the Rodney King beating mm. and the riots and what happened to, to us as a country at that moment, you know, for that event to be televised and the impact it had on all of us, regardless of your, your skin color. Mm -hmm. You know, we were so angry and just like, we couldn't believe that that would happen. Um, and we really wrote a powerful song. And, you know, this wasn't a co-write with some outside writer. We wrote it as a band. I remember us being in that room together and talking about what we'd seen on television and everyone was very affected by it. It was such a powerful, you know, powerful lyric. And I just, I just think it was of that moment. And I think if we could have come with how long after Got No Shame, mm. Maybe we could have made that transition into some of the alternative radio stations who ultimately never really touched us, Naomi. You know, from a business standpoint, that was what made it so hard for Brother Kane. Mm -hmm. And that's really why we weren't able to continue is because, you know, we got tons of radio airplay, but those stations playing us were basically classic rock stations that played new music.
So they would play the new Brother Kane and the new Kenny Wayne Shepherd, And then they would play the bigger grunge bands. They had to play Nirvana and Pearl Jam. But then they'd also play the new Van Halen, the new ACDC, mm-hmm. the new Billy Idol song, stuff like that. The alternative station across town was not playing that. It was yeah. all pumpkins, you know, Nine Inch Nails, you know, you know, all the bands. And we just couldn't crack that. Uh, we couldn't we couldn't get our foot in that door. So. I don't want to in any way put down the fans that we did accumulate and the people that did really like Brother K. We just weren't getting them in big enough numbers and we weren't getting that younger crowd that was very you know, focused on. What was essentially new music, a new sound and a new thing. Mm-hmm. And I think if we'd have come out with how long after gotten no shame, I absolutely think it would have made a difference. There's no way of knowing, but I, I believe strongly that uh, it would have been a better, I, I think it would have made some of these alternative radio stations feel better about, okay, well, now this band has come out with a second album and they have this song and Fools Shine On, which mm. is perfect for all of our stations. You know, we were so kind of set in stone with the direction of the band. And again, we were their competing stations property, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. You never know what the time would you think, you know, you're exactly, you don't know what would have happened, but you make the right decision that you feel is the perfect one at the time. Oh God, we felt great about it. You know, yeah. we felt great. It's like, again, God of Shame goes to number one. Uh, we're starting to release the second single. Robert Plant wants to take us out. You know, mm-hmm. the, the golden god, the greatest, you know, lead singer of all time. We're like, all right, things are, <laughs> we can't be stopped. We can put out anything we want. So, you know, and then you start letting maybe the, the radio promo person decide what the single should be. Or you're letting the, you know, the product manager or the label president have an opinion about that. They don't really know who we are as people. They don't know what we stand for. Mm-hmm. And we certainly weren't thinking about those things when we're writing and recording. We were just guys that wanted to rock and drink beer and get on stage and go on the road. And, and that was all happening. So we were certainly very, we were very happy. Maybe, maybe a little aloof to some important things, but uh, yeah. Oh, oh, to be young. The naivety of youth, <laughs> Naomi. <laughs> oh, what, a, what a beautiful time it was, though. Yeah. 
What's the most interesting thing you've seen on the internet this week? Is it a fact? If you are going to the space station as an astronaut in 2020, or even for the last, you know, almost decade, you have had to learn Russian before you go. An article. My question when I saw this was, how is it even possible that she had hair follicles in her gums? That's not where they're supposed to be. Or something else. What was yeah. the one after murder hornets? Was it like arson sharks? I don't even know. Um, <laughs> right. That's what we talk about on Three Interesting Things, a weekly podcast where we cover the three most interesting things on the internet this week as chosen and submitted by listeners. I'm Don Grant. You've probably heard my voice on commercials telling you to buy something, but every week on Three Interesting Things, I'm joined by different guest hosts from around the world to chat about interesting facts and stories in the fields of science, pop culture, history, or whatever else is sent our way. So have a listen. We're on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, if you've got something you want us to talk about on the show, hit us up. On Twitter at 3interesting, that's the number 3interesting. On Instagram at 3interestingthings. Or email us at 3interestingthings at gmail.com. Podcasting is so much fun, but it's kind of expensive too. We got to pay for stuff like licensing fees, hosting fees, long distance phone calls, etc., etc. You get the drill? Okay. Well, we have a new thing called Patreon. Now, Dope Nostalgia has a Patreon account where you can subscribe to premium content. And what that means for you is for the very low starting price of $1 a month, you'll be able to get the podcast two days in advance of the regular release. Not only that, $3 a month, you get exclusive video content just for you guys to check out bonus stuff all the time that you don't get with the regular show. So check it out, patreon.com slash dope nostalgia. Become a subscriber today and get all the good perks. Back up, get your own sandwich. And back, back up, get your own sandwich. Beautiful lean meat with lettuce and two slices of bread. Think fast. You want to protect that, ladies and gentlemen. Back off! Get your own You're too nice, Kate. Come on. Back off! Yeah. Yum. Okay, someone's coming in. Boom! You take them out. Boom! Take them out. Sandwiches up. Get your sandwiches up. This is where the kick comes in. Boom! Ha! Hey, when you've got something this good, protect it. Maple Leaf Lean and Light. It's that good. Are you taking this seriously, sir? Eventually, as the time goes on, like you said, you've done so much more. You became uh, Alice Cooper's guitar player. Yeah. Right. Amazing. Now, now this is stuff I find in Wikipedia and we know that's not always accurate. So correct me if I'm wrong about anything. No, listen, that is, that's, that's very accurate. It's funny. My kids, my kids are obviously older now and, and they're pretty good themselves. They'll go to Wikipedia and they sort of, they're my, uh, my guardians. They're like, all right, let's make sure this is correct information about, <laughs> about the old man, you know, cause anybody can go in there and, and modify that stuff. So, True. yeah, the last time I looked at my Wikipedia, it, was, it actually was kind of impressive. I was like, wow, did I do all of that? <laughs> but yeah, you're right. I did. I joined Alice Cooper in uh, 2004. Mm -hmm. And I worked on a couple of my own original music projects uh, over the next seven years. 
and uh, came in and out of Alice's band once within that time period. But I did about five years with Coop and it was incredible. And then I, uh, I left Alice in 2010 to join Thin Lizzy. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah. Huge Naomi. Thin Lizzy had occupied massive real estate for me, uh, especially as a guitar player. But uh, Phil Linett, you know, the front man and songwriter, Lizzy. I'm grateful that I was such a fan of that band because I, I'll always believe with confidence that his lyric writing and his poetry was kind of trickling in, you know, to, to my, certainly my listening. And, you know, that was having an effect on the, what I told you earlier about writing songs with some other singer. And I'm thinking, wow, those, those lyrics are not really great, you know, because I'd go get in my car to drive home and I'm listening to Phil sing, you know, Emerald or, or, or Black Rose, or Got to Give It Up, or Dancing in the Moonlight, or even The Boys Are Back in Town. What an incredible lyric, you know, those, mm -hmm. he was, he was one of the all-time greats. So for me to join Thin Lizzy, are you kidding me? Wow. <laughs> it's amazing, amazing. And I'm, you know, I'm still a part of Thin Lizzy. The band doesn't do a lot of touring, but uh, when they, you know, when, when Scott Gorham, who's, you know, he's the, the lone original member, mm -hmm. you know, he'll call me and go, Hey bud, I'm thinking about, let's, let's go out and kick the tires. I'm like, let's go. All right. I'll, whatever dates I have booked, I'll move them and we'll, we'll make it work. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. It's awesome. And you know, and I'm, I think right now, I mean, you and I are, you're, you're talking to me about all this stuff at a time where I'm just super focused on my solo career, Naomi. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, what, what's out, going on with the uh, solo work? I'm really excited to talk about that. Well, I appreciate that. I uh, when I then Lizzie kind of morphed into another band, uh, and that band was called Black Star Writers. And what Black Star mm -hmm. Writers was, it gave us a chance to write new music that sounded like a bit like the style that Thin Lizzy had developed, the harmony guitars, the more poetic rock lyrics, great lead singer in, in <clears throat> the current Thin Lizzy and Black Star writers, Ricky Warwick, proper mm. songwriter, a real talent. Mm. We just didn't want to put out records and call it Thin Lizzy because it's not Thin Lizzy. You yeah. can't have a Thin Lizzy record without Phil Linen on it. <clears throat> so that really got me back into writing and thinking creatively and, so the second Black Star Writers record was produced by the current legend, future legend producer, Nick Rasculinix. Uh, and, and Nick's resume is insane. Alice in Chains, Foo Fighters, Rush, Mastodon, Hailstorm, Velvet Revolver. It's, it's yeah. just ridiculous. So he lives here in Nashville, where I, I moved to Nashville in 2013, met Nick the next year. And through some crazy happenstance, he produced the second Black Star Writers record. <clears throat> so I'm in Lizzie. We're also doing Black Star Writers. Nick calls me one day. He goes, hey, man, do you have any songs? Because Nick liked Brother Kane. You know, he remembered. He loved Fools Shine On. That was what he really loved that song. He's like, if you got any songs, man, just come down. Let's, let's record something. And I'm so grateful for that, Naomi, because that was... 
I think I'd kind of put my solo thing. It was, it was almost more like a hobby. I hadn't really looked at it like, all right, I should step on the gas with this and, and really try to move it forward. So Nick produced an EP for me that had five songs on it that I put out in 2016. And I've put out an, another solo record every 18 months since then. Oh, wow. And yeah, Nick has been such a pivotal part of that. Uh, put out a solid record two and a half years ago called Memoirs of an Uprising. I produced it myself. Nick was busy. He couldn't, uh, he literally had Alice in Chains in the studio. And um, so he's like, man, you can produce it. Get everything you need on tape. You can use my room to track your drums. And then I, maybe I can mix it. And that's what happened. <clears throat> he mixed that record. And then my latest record, um, he, he did everything. He produced it. Uh, it was a big day when I took him the demos and he got so excited, Naomi. Nick is such a taskmaster about songs. Mm -hmm. And I just knew like, well, I'm not going to waste his time. I'm not going to show up and ask him to produce a record unless I feel confident that the songs are there. And that's how I felt. And sure enough, I played in the demos and he got super excited. And that was, I mean, that was as exciting as finishing the record itself, just to get Nick that fired up. So he's, uh, yeah, he's played a huge part in, in what I'm doing now. And so uh, the new album is called Battle Lessons with my trio, by the way, the Get Ready, Damon Johnson and the Get Ready. I love that. And uh, yeah, so of course the pandemic put a put a halt on a, a lot of stuff for all of us um but the craziest thing happened this summer uh you know we're booking a few shows and playing as much as we can within the covid restrictions and uh you know we're committed to staying healthy mm -hmm. i got a call from my longtime friend ricky medlock the guitar player in leonard skinner and he got me on a three-way phone call with Johnny Van Zant, the singer with Leonard Skinner. Mm -hmm. And they told me that the original legend, Gary Rosington, the guitar player that started the band in 1969 with Ronnie and uh, Alan Collins had had a heart procedure. And, you know, Skinner was like every other band, big or small. They, There'd been no work for a year and a half. They finally booked about 30 shows. And then Gary had this heart procedure and he couldn't tour. So Gary gave them his blessing to get, bring somebody in and continue the tour. What a thrill. <clears throat> they called me. Wow. I got my manager involved, their manager. So what has happened, Naomi, um, mostly in like September, October and part of November is I have filled in for Gary Rosington and Leonard Skinner on guitar oh. on the big stage. And for about 12 of those shows, my band has been the opening act. Yeah. I'm speechless. <laughs> this is incredible. No, it's crazy. It's crazy. So um, I did a handful of shows where I just opened uh, by myself on acoustic. I would just come out with my acoustic guitar and sing and tell a couple of stories. 
<clears throat> but in November we did we did six shows. The Get Ready opened, amazing, mm-hmm. amazing, and um, so it's really been exciting for me for my band, and you know I'm so grateful to not just the Skinner band and management, but their fans, Naomi. Their mm-hmm. fans have been so accepting of me and. You know, you know, in a, in their way, they've been appreciative. They're like, hey, man, thanks for filling in for our boy, because, you know, the band wanted to play. The fans wanted to come and hear the band and hear those great songs. And so that's what we've been able to do. So it's just I mean, we did our last show about three weekends ago, and it almost feels like a dream. It's like, wait, did that happen? <laughs> so, uh, I hope somebody took some pictures because I'm not sure that really happened. That was, that was wild. So yeah, it's really been, uh, it's been an amazing year, particularly under the circumstances of, mm-hmm. of COVID. So I, I just feel really grateful uh, for that experience. Grateful that I was able to keep my guys working a little bit and uh, you know, we're just taking that energy and, and rolling into next year and um, I'm starting to write some more songs and we'll see. We'll see what we can get into in 2022. And I think that it's amazing that you've kept creative and not only that, not many bands can say that they've had that opportunity during this type of year it's been. Right. So. No, we're very, very fortunate. Um, you'll, you'll laugh at this because I certainly laughed. My manager, I called him and I said, Hey man, I just got off the phone with Ricky and Johnny and they want me to fill in for Gary. And look, that's a no brainer. You have to say, yes, yes, mm-hmm. I'm doing that. Oh my God, that'll be fun. Well, my manager, Kevin, he goes, well, I'm going to, yeah, let me talk to their guy, their management. And I, and what we should do, Damon, is we, you know, in case Gary can come back and play some of the shows or part of the show, we should have you and your band on the bill as the opening act. And it puts you on the property, no matter what. Mm -hmm. And I said, I said, there is no way they're going to go for that. And he goes, just wait. I'm going to call you back. <laughs> <laughs> sure enough, we hung up 15 minutes later. The phone rings. I go, hey, man. He goes, done. I got you 12 shows, you know, six of them on acoustic, six with the band. I said, are you kidding me? He's like, no, it's happening. It's <laughs> 
<laughs> it would have never occurred to me to say, hey, guys, I have an idea. What about this? I, I wouldn't have had the balls to say that, you know. <laughs> and so credit to Kevin. What a what a what a what a blessing, you know, mm-hmm. that that whole thing has been. And, um, you know, I have older kids that, uh, you know, they're all functioning adults now. And, uh, you know, they grew up on Leonard Skinner. They saw Brother Kane open for Leonard Skinner, you know, way back in the in the early 90s. So uh, all three of them were able to come to one of the shows somewhere and, and come and see it. And it was just glorious. It was just it was so special. And um, yeah, it's been a it's been a really amazing year. And I'm, um, you know, just happy for everybody involved. And again, we don't know what next year is going to look like, but uh, mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to keep working hard. And like I said, I got some new songs and just going to keep uh the goal is to just keep doing what we love, Naomi. It's there's it's no, true. you know, there's no like, well, I need to make this kind of money or I need to sell this many. You can't sell CDs anymore. So it's like, what are, <laughs> what are your benchmarks? I, yeah. For me, the, the, the watermark is, Hey, just, just keep doing what you love and work hard and all that other stuff will take care of itself. Oh, that's beautiful. It's so true. Have you, uh, now you're in central. So are you, wh- where are you based out of now? We live in Nashville. Um, I was able to stay in Birmingham that entire time, all through the 2000s, um, you know, all through the Alice Cooper thing. I was still in Birmingham when I joined in Lizzie. Mm -hmm. And then in 2013, uh, my wife, Linda, and I and my two youngest kids, we uh, we made the move up here to Nashville. And it's just been Mm -hmm. such a positive thing. I knew that I knew musicians here. I knew some studios here, but. I could have never predicted meeting Nick Raskulinix. Uh Marty Fredrickson lives here now. We still hang out and write sometimes. He's got an amazing studio. So, you know, I've played with all these great musicians over the years. And when I started kind of putting the word out, well, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my solo career. I'm going to focus on that. You know, some of these guys would call me, hey, man, if you need a drummer, I'm your guy. And I'm like, well, but you live in California, dude. You can't. No, you you have to live in Nashville <laughs> to be in the Damon Johnson band. That that is a prerequisite. You have to live in Nashville because I'm. Oh my God, the the money that we spent in Black Star Writers, flying people, literally from different continents, just to have band practice. It's like no, dude. we're not doing that headache again. <laughs> no way, no. And and in a way, it sort of feels like Brother Kane, you know. Three three hundred sixty degrees back to, yeah. you know, because all my all my guys are here. You know, we got a place that we rehearse. I've got, I got a great team. You know, my manager lives here. My booking agent just moved here from California. So literally, all of all there. Da- Damon Johnson Incorporated. Everybody's here <laughs> in uh, in Nashville. So I'm, I love it. I really, uh, really am uh, just proud that it, that it's worked out like that. You know. Yeah. feels really productive it's it's feels like it feels like home and it feels uh feels right being there yeah 100 percent. we love it we really do it's been so nice hearing these stories and like you're just such a good conversationalist i absolutely love chatting with you today um well naomi thank you for that listen i yeah. i'm grateful to you for reaching out you know and uh it's um that's another great thing about working with Kevin, my manager, you know, he really had me update 
my socials and my website. And he's like, look, man, there are real people that are going to want to contact you and talk to you and they need a way to do that. And so uh, kudos to you for doing whatever, (laughs) whatever research you did, you came right to the, to the right source. So uh, thank you for that. Beautiful. And thank you for your time too. I know you're probably very busy. Um, And are you very active on the social media? So like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Twitter and Instagram and all that. Yeah, my uh, uh, I was kind of late to the Instagram thing, and now it's my favorite platform for the same yeah. reason everybody loves it. You know, just photos and videos and stuff like that. So, yeah. uh, my Facebook and my Instagram are the same. It's official Damon Johnson. Okay. And then I'm on Twitter, and that is Damon J official. And then my website is. I still can't believe that I own the, uh, the, uh, whatever you call it. The, the you URL. Yeah. yeah da- Damonjohnson.com. I had a friend, I'll, I'll never forget him calling me. This was like 99 or 2000. He goes, Hey man, you need to pay for this. I'm like, I don't, why? He goes, <laughs> trust me. He goes, trust me. You're going to want to own this. I said, it's okay. True. And it was like, no, listen, none of this stuff was happening back then, but credit to that friend, you know, cause he was right. And so I went to literally to godaddy.com and okay. Damonjohnson.com is available. Send us $27. And yes. Got yeah. it for three years or whatever. Cause you know, what will happen. <laughs> it's, it's a name that will get bought up because people are just buying them up and then it'll cost you thousands of dollars to get it later. Oh, Isn't that totally. crazy. I'm, I'm so so grateful for it. I, you know, you search Damon Johnson. There's a lot of Damon Johnsons out there. There's some mm-hmm. professional athletes. There's some yeah. insurance salesmen and guys that have big, successful businesses. And I apologize to those guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> there, could, there could only be one. You I'm, got it. I'm sure they're sick of, you know, people go to Google and they type in their name. and like, man, there's some long haired guitar player. <laughs> That's not you, is it? <laughs> oh that's perfect <laughs> yeah yeah it's awesome well kudos to you naomi thanks for uh thanks again for having me this has been a lot of fun and uh i love the whole concept behind your show and uh the 90s was one of the greatest decades of all time it was uh amen to that it was seismic culturally and i am still moved emotionally by artists and songs that were written in that time period. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the greatest music, it'll stand the test of time. Those songs will be around long after we're all gone. So uh, it's mm-hmm. uh, you know a thrill for me to be just a footnote in, uh, in all of that. It's, uh, I'm well, grateful. It's, and it's a thrill for me to share your music with all these people that uh, you know we're, we're looking back and reminiscing, but sometimes you can get new fans. You never know. Listen, you never know when you're going to get new fans, Naomi. Uh, yeah. At my wife's encouragement, I got to show you this before we go. So, of course, after the crazy activity of the last three months, she was smart enough to go out and get me some Leonard Skinner guitar picks. Yes. And offer them up on uh, on our website. So you can go to DamonJohnson.com and get a Leonard Skinner signature guitar pick. <laughs> just sweet just in time for your holiday your christmas stocking stuffing 
<laughs> and, you know, again, of all these people I've been talking about, I'm so grateful for Linda, my wife. She just crushes it. And, mm. you know, we've got the new album on vinyl and on CDs and we sign all that stuff and send it out. And it's just fun. We love having a little mom and pop operation. It's it's so much fun. And I'm crazy about her. And she's she's been really good for me in so many ways. That's a beautiful thing. Oh, I'm awesome. so happy for you. <laughs> Thanks, Naomi. Listen, I hope we get to meet uh, in person. Where are you, by the way, before we I'm, go? I'm in Edmonton, Canada. So I'm like in the Western Fantastic. mountain time. <laughs> great, 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 great. Well, um, yeah, Linda, hopefully. Linda, her her dad's family is from Detroit. Mm -hmm. And then they lived in Southern California forever, forever. But she's a lifelong hockey fan. Nice. She is she is the single biggest Wayne Gretzky fan on the planet. Like watches watches every career retrospective, sits on the couch, just sobbing, you know, gets emotional. Uh, our, our youngest son plays hockey. Uh, and Gretzky came to Nashville uh, like 2015 or 16. Yeah. And he did a little private signing for the youth league hockey team. And Somehow Linda got our son Gabriel in and we have this insane picture of Gabe and Wayne Gretzky together. So what a huge moment. No, it's huge. So you're in Edmonton. Come I on. Am, I am. Oh, he's this is the one place on earth. He cannot walk down the street. No, he is. <laughs> I cannot. You can't do he it. He is. No, he is Mother Teresa, <laughs> Muhammad Ali, the Dalai Lama, the Pope. Jesus Christ. We have, he, he, like... <laughs> he has a street here. He, we have a freeway named after him. And uh, as, yeah. as you should, as right? we should. <laughs> there's a huge, like, huge statue of him outside of our arena. Like wow. it's serious business. We, well, we, we hope, uh, I hope we can get, I hope we can get to Edmonton. I think brother Kane came to Edmonton one time way back, you know, in the nineties, uh, yeah. in our, in our travels, but, uh, Canada was good to us. Canada was really embraced, Brother Kane, Naomi, especially Full Shine On. We got tons of airplay up there. Yeah, we played up there a few times. Very popular here. Very popular here. And we got to be friends with the guys in the Tea Party, mm -hmm. uh, the guys in Big Wreck. Oh, I love uh, Big Wreck. Yeah, yeah. Um, Ian, oh my God, what a what a talent! What a talent! Yeah. Amazing guitar player, singer, songwriter, total package. Yep. Um, I'm, as soon as we hang up, I'm, I'm going to go, oh, I should have mentioned this band. And, <laughs> but, uh, hey, oh, I'll, I'll leave you with this one. I forget the circumstances, but one of the last runs we did in Canada playing some music halls, our opening act was some band we'd never heard of called Nickelback. Shit. True story. <laughs> True right? story. Yeah, so... Sometime in the early 2000s, Nickelback played the big amphitheater in Birmingham. And I went down there and I happened to bump into Chad. And I was shocked he even remembered who I was. Mm. And we walked out to the monitor board and watched some of the show that I forget who the opening act was. But he goes, man, it was so much fun, that tour that we did with you guys. That was killer. And I looked out at this packed amphitheater, you know, and. I said, I don't know, bro. I think this is a little more killer right here. This is this is the real killer. And he laughed. He's like, yeah, 
He goes, I'll, he goes, I'll never forget that man playing with playing with Brother Kane. So that that was that was special for me oh, to hear him say that. that. And you know, those guys have just had so much success and deservedly so. I'm a huge fan of you. Thank you again. Like you're you're thank you're you, awesome. Naomi. And uh, well, listen, I let's uh, let's talk again. Let's let's give it a let another little bit of time pass by, and we'll see what else we've done. Yeah, we can catch uh, up with and, and uh, update everybody on what's going on with you. That'd be awesome. Well, thank you again for having me on, and and good luck to you, and happy holidays to you and your family, and uh, thank you. hope you our paths too. cross very soon. God rest you merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and Bethlehem in Israel, this blessed day was born And laid within a manger upon this blessed morn Which is Mother Mary, did nothing take in scorn Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy Oh, tidings of comfort and Tamagotchi and listen for a second. You know, you can follow us on Twitter at Nostalgia Dope, Instagram at Dope underscore Nostalgia. Visit our website at www.dopenostalgia.com or pick up the phone and call us at 780-851-8785. This podcast is licensed by SoCan because we believe that artists should be paid for their work.